This is Truth Encounter, and today we want to discover a portion of Scripture that tells us some important facts about restoring our relationship with God when we mess up badly. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 11 and following sound as boring as watching your neighbor's video of last summer's vacation. But as our study leader Dave Wurtzen points out, these places actually tell a story of God's dependability in picking up the broken pieces of Humpty Dumpty's shattered shell and giving our lives real substance again. Let's join Dave as we learn how God can restore shattered relationships. As we stand poised in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses is trying to get these people lined up for entering the promised land. They have had a history of spilling their tea spiritually all over oriental rugs. In fact, they did it not just once, but as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, we go through a whole litany of, of accusations where the children of Israel, beginning with the golden calf incident, have not followed the commands of the Lord. And Moses is telling these people that if they're going to be able to enter into the promised land, that they're going to have to learn what it means to be obedient to the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, he started out by talking about the fact that the Lord, after, after he graciously intervened for the people, after he graciously talked to them about their history and about what had happened, he reminded them that after he pleaded with the Lord for about 40 days and 40 nights, after he prayed for his people like that, they responded. And the Lord responded, and the Lord gave them back the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. Look at it, Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, at that time the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain and also make a wooden chest. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Then you are to put them in the chest. And the next few verses talk about the fact that the Lord graciously gave back the Ten Commandments, which was a symbol that he had reestablished his relationship with the people. The last time we looked at this passage, we talked about the need for daddies in our culture, the need for every one of you fathers to, to replace the shattered tablets that have taken place in our culture. The moral commands of God have been left behind. And one of the most important things for us to do is to take back these tablets and in our home life day by day to begin as daddies to affirm these standards of right, these standards of wrong that the Lord has given to us. Now we want to pick up the discussion in verse 6. It says, The Israelites traveled from the wells of the Jaconites to Maserah. And there Aaron died and was buried, and Eleazar his son succeeded him as priest. From there they traveled to Gadgadah and on to Jotbathah, a land with streams of water. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi, and he set them apart to carry the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the Lord to minister, and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do to this day. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. Those are some of those verses that if I were reading them in my quiet time, I'd be tempted to think of it just being like a, a travel narrative about as interesting as somebody else showing you their videos from last summer's vacation. But for the people that heard this reminder of their travels, 
it communicated something incredibly invigorating and exciting because it meant that God did not kill Aaron when they committed the sin of the golden calf. It meant that God had not rejected his people. And it also reminded them about a very special time where the Lord reached into the tribe of Levi and he set them apart for a very special thing. You see, as you think about God's Old Testament people, God chose, first of all, the family of Aaron to be the priest that would go into the tabernacle and they would offer offerings on the altar of burnt offerings and they would, they would anoint the altar with blood. And then there was another whole group called the Levites who would attend to those priests. They would minister to the people when they came to the temple. They would help the priests in filleting the, the meat and all the sacrifices that were offered after they, if it was a burnt offering, after it was cooked there on the altar. They would be the attendants of the priests. Now for us, it's hard to identify with the importance of that, but in the Old Testament, what it meant was that God had continued to leave the way open for the people to be able to get close to God. Now, when we studied the book of Hebrews, we learned that in the New Testament, the priesthood has been extended in an incredible way. In fact, I doubt if very few of you have thought about the reality, but this week, you have been the Levites. This week, you are the priests. As we think about God reinstituting the Israelite priesthood, I want you to think about how God has reinstituted the New Testament priesthood for us. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, first of all, to remind us about who our high priest is. And we don't have Eliezer. The Lord anointed Eliezer when Aaron uh, passed on and went home to be with the Lord. The Lord made his son Eliezer the priest. But in Hebrews chapter 4, we learn about a priest that will never die. We learn about a priest that will never need to be replaced. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and that we may find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 is telling us that unlike the Old Testament priesthood in which Aaron would die, later on Eliezer would die, and then we would have a succession of the sons of Aaron and God would graciously protect his people, in the book of Hebrews, the Lord is telling us an incredible difference about the new covenant. We will never have a high priest who needs to be replaced. You see, in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, things are very tenuous. Moses is reminding them about a very shaky time in the history of Israel. It was the time when possibly the, all the Old Testament people could have been wiped out. Aaron, the high priest that was chosen by God to represent the people before the Lord God could have been killed. And yet, the Lord in his mercy forgave the people he reinstituted Aaron, but Aaron still died. At Mount Hor, he went home to be with the Lord. His son needed to replace him. And then as the years passed, there came a time when Eliezer died as well. The book of Hebrews is telling us that as we gather together, the Lord has given us a high priest who will never, never die. And he is a great high priest 
because he's the high priest, because he rose again from the dead. What Hebrews is telling us is the Son of God has entered into the ultimate holy place, and he's opened up the way for us to be able to walk right into the presence of God. And so if you say, well, Dave, our high priest is not Aaron, it's not Eliezer, who is our high priest today? And the answer to that question is our high priest is the Son of God who's been ordained after the order of Melchizedek. So he's a king, he's a priest, and most important of all, he's God, and he's going to live forever. And so every one of you never need to feel like we need to pray. Maybe the Lord's going to abandon us. Maybe the Lord's going to take away our priest. Maybe we're not going to make it. You know, maybe something's going to go totally haywire, and we're not going to be able to make it into the presence of God. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, unlike the Old Testament covenant, we have an eternal priesthood that will never be taken away from us. You say, okay, Jesus is the high priest. What about these Levites? What about all these servants that attended upon the Lord? I want you to turn over to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 has some verses that talk to us about the New Testament Levites or these New Testament servants. 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's begin with verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, the living stone in this context is Jesus Christ, who was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Remember, he was rejected by men, and yet this son of God was precious to the Lord God of heaven. But there's someone else who's precious. It says in verse 5 that you also, and he's speaking to you as a group of believers, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What Peter is telling us is that unlike the Old Testament, where the place where people worship the Lord God of heaven was first of all in a tabernacle made out of skins, and then it became a building that was made out of stone and mortar and just a physical building that the priests of Aaron and the Levites took care of, what he's telling us here in 1 Peter is that you and I are the living temple of God. So that's the first imagery that he uses. He says that every single one of you are like a living temple of God in which God himself dwells, because that's the meaning of a temple. It's where God dwells. And he calls you something else in this context. Not just the spiritual house of God, but look at the next line. To be a what? To be a holy priesthood. Have you thought about today that you have been called into the ministry? You see, one of the things in our culture that's very, very unbiblical is the idea that you have ministers, that you have ordained religious professionals who are the Levites. And it's a very powerful way of thinking. We all fall into that. In other words, when someone says to me, Dave, what do you do? I say, well, I am a minister. When someone asks, what do you do? You respond, well, you know, I'm a bricklayer, or I'm an electrician, or I work at the GM plant, or whatever you might do. And you respond like that, and we've developed it all in a professional way of thinking. What First Peter is reminding us is that's not the way the Lord thinks about us today. The Lord God of heaven says that every single one of you is an ordained minister. You have ordained, you've been, been ordained by the living God the moment that you are born into God's family to become a priest, to become someone who represents God 
to people and to others. You are a holy priesthood. Peter goes on and develops this a little bit further. If you turn over the page, it says in verse 9, the apostle, the apostle Peter began to develop this thought. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And that's what gives me the right to make this analogy between what Moses was telling the Old Testament Levites and reminding the Israelites of, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, the Apostle Peter has given me the right to look at you as a group of New Testament believers and say some of the responsibility that the Levites had in their relationship with God and their relationship with people is the responsibility that you have as well. And Peter calls you, he says, first of all, you are a chosen people. So just like God in his grace and in his mercy chose the Old Testament Israelites, if you've invited Christ into your heart, then the Lord God is saying that you are a chosen people. Just like they were a chosen people, you have become a special object of the love of God. You are a chosen people. Second of all, you're a royal priesthood. Now, the reason he uses the word royal is unlike Eliezer and Aaron and the Levites, their priesthood was not royalty. There is never a king that comes from the line of Aaron. They were the high priests, but they were not the kings. The, the kings in the Old Testament came from the line of Judah, from the line of David. So you had a priesthood that was from the line of Aaron. You had a kingship that came from the line of David, the line of Judah. But in the New Testament, united in the Son of God, we have the Son of David, who was ordained by God to be a king and to be a priest. And when you believe in him, you become joined with him, so you also become part of his royal entourage, of his royal ministry, of his royal priesthood. That's the incredible, incredible, fantastic gift that Peter realized that we have as a group of believers. And I believe it changes the way we live when we understand from God's perspective who we are. I believe there's some of you that don't feel like Levites. You don't feel like priests. You don't feel like God's men and women. You don't feel like you've been called. You feel like, well, you know, the ordained minister's been called. You know, Dave Minalive, you get paid for teaching the scripture. So you're an ordained preacher. So you're in a special class with God. But I'm not in that class. I want you to recognize that that's totally unbiblical. Peter is telling you that you're the royal priesthood. I'm just one of you. And anyone else that is gifted by, the, by God to teach God's family, they're not in another class. They just have a different gift. It's the gift of teaching. And you have your gifts. And you have your abilities. But all of us are the same class. And it's a high class. It's the class of royal priesthood. Think about it. Have we acted like priests this past week? We acted like the royal priest of the Son of God? You say, well, maybe, Dave, I, did, I didn't remember that I was a priest. Well, that's why we're gathered together, so that we can open up God's word and understand who we are in him. And he goes on and says this, that you might declare. What are we supposed to do as priests? It says that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The reason that we've been called to priesthood is to gather together to say, I love you, Lord. I lift up my voice. 
One of the things that I notice about as I travel and visit other churches and travel in different parts of the United States, as American believers, and myself, is, I'm included in this, when I gather together with a group of believers, my mind is ticking away. And I'm thinking very much the way that I would evaluate um, a movie that I go to or um, a dramatic presentation that I might go to or a TV show that I might watch, I'm asking, how are they performing? How is it going? Are things going smoothly? And is it touching my heart? Is it meeting my needs? When I, when I meet together and I hear someone speak, when it gets all done, I ask myself, did they meet some needs in my life? You see, as a group of Americans, we have been programmed to consume. We have been programmed to take things in. And so, for example, if, if we say as a church family, we're going to have a big show and someone, we're going to have Stephen Curtis Chapman come tonight and Stephen's going to sing for us, you would all be here. I'm not using Stephen in any detrimental way, but I want to show you something that's very much a part of what's happening to us as a group of believers. If we tell you as a group of believers that we've got a great skilled person, that will come and do something really well, we all come out. But if I say we're going to have a sing-along, and you're going to be the singer, and you're going to be the ones that have to, have to express your praise to the Lord, very few will come. Because we're used to sitting and watching someone else do it, and we're used to being connoisseurs of how good it is. And what I want you to recognize is that means that you've forgotten your priesthood. And I want you to think very hard about that. You know what? Your part, your part is when you get to sing praise to the Lord. And the Lord doesn't care if you croak like a frog because when it's filtered through the Holy Spirit and filtered through his heavenly stereo system, the worst singer in this group sounds like, you know, a marvelous opera singer, a marvelous uh, right-on-tuned singer. Because the Lord is listening to your heart. And I would say that the Lord wants to work in my heart and he wants to work in your heart about the ministry of a priest. You say, Dave, what are you talking to us about this idea of singing praise to the Lord? Well, I want you to go back. I'm going to pick it up in just a minute, but I want you to go back because I want to look at the responsibilities of the Old Testament priesthood, what they were supposed to do in Deuteronomy chapter 10. What were these Levites to do? They not only sang praise, which I'm going to conclude with, but I want to look at some other responsibilities that they had. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, in verse 8, that at that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Their first responsibility was to carry the Ark. Now, what was inside the Ark? The Ten Commandments. So the very first responsibility the Old Testament Levite had was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Everywhere the people went, they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. Now, as we apply it to us as the New Testament Levites, the Scripture says under the New Covenant that the law is not written on tablets of stone, so we don't have to carry around his daddies and his mommies and his kids going into school and all the places we go. We don't have to carry the Ten Commandments with us on stone tablets. Where do we carry it? We carry it in our heart. The Lord says there's going to come a new covenant when I'm going to write my law upon their heart. So one of your responsibilities as a New Testament Levite is to carry the inscribed moral law on your heart. 
Very important responsibility. In other words, if you go to business this week and a deal comes up and your boss says, just overcharge, just a little bit. Everybody does it. Just add a few dollars and it'll make us really be able to come out better at the end of the year. And you're an accountant. What do you do? As a New Testament Levite, you carry the law of God in your heart and you remember the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth, is really concerned about balanced books. Very concerned that everything be done fairly and in order. And so as a believer, you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And you carry the law of God. One of your major responsibilities as a New Testament believer is to carry the moral law of God into the marketplace. And it needs to begin not just shouting about how everyone else needs to obey the law of God, but it begins by us going out into the public sphere and standing for what is consistent with the Ten Commandments. And the Holy Spirit is in your life to help you to do that. So I want every one of you to think, you're the New Testament Levites, you carry the law of God in your heart. How is that going to work itself out in the way that you live this coming week and the way that I live? The second thing that the Levites did was this. They not only carried the moral law of God, but they stood before the Lord to minister. The second responsibility they had was to stand before the Lord and minister. Now this phrase, to stand before the Lord, in the Old Testament, pictures a king or a very prominent ruler. It could be a priest. But let's think about a king. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was the great king of Babylon, and he had those who stood before him. Now, the picture here is not like going to a party, going to a reception, everybody stands around and they have small talk and everything. That's not what Moses is talking about, where the Levites are going to kind of stand around the temple. It's more like this. In the ancient world, if you were the one that stood before the king, you stood before the king in his presence. Why were you standing there? So that his least whim, his immediate command could be met, could be obeyed just like that. I think the closest that I ever came to this in my own life, kind of a concrete image that will help you understand and know what it means to stand before the Lord, was when I was in high school, I was a waiter. In the high school where I went, it was a private school, and it was from the Old South, and we had the aristocrats. Those were those that ran the school. And those were the visitors that came from all over the country to eat at this beautiful, elegant table with, with marvelous china, and everything was served in silver. And one of the jobs that I had was to be a waiter. And as the waiter, especially when you became a head waiter, I stood at the head of the table. And the hostess could just lift up an eyebrow to me, and I was moving. You see, I had to direct and make sure that everyone was served properly. In fact, on Sundays, every single Sunday, we had chicken a la king. Good southern ditch. And they would serve this chicken a la king with rice and then the casserole with big chunks of chicken that we didn't get as the normal people, but the aristocrats got big chunks of chicken in their chicken a la king. My responsibility was to watch this service. I remember one guy came out, he put the bowl of rice, because you always serve the rice first, and you always serve from the left. He put the bowl of rice down, and he got the rice on the plate of the hostess wearing this beautiful dress. 
But while she was taking the rice, he had the chicken olive king up in the air. He had the rice in his left hand. He had the chicken olive king poised in his right hand, right over her. And I watched him slowly begin to dribble hot chicken olive king right down her back. But she was a good southern matron. She never even budged, never said a word with chicken olive king just dribbling down her dress. And I'd had it, but about an hour after that meal was over, that was the end of uh, my waiting for a while because I didn't stand in attendance the way that I should. But you get the idea? You got the picture? You're standing at the head of the table. Why? You stand in the presence of the hostess so that every single detail of what needs to be met at that table will be met. What I want you to realize is that as New Testament Levites, we are responsible not only for carrying the law of God in our hearts, but we're responsible for standing in the presence of God so that we can respond to every one of his commands and every one of his desires. That's why your quiet time every single day, and my quiet time is so important, that time alone with God is a time to begin to stand in his presence. You have to learn to stand in God's presence and learn to listen to what he wants to tell you. You see, you want to personalize your quiet time. This book is not a mechanical thing. It's not like reading you know, something that's, that's like a rabbit's foot. It's not a good luck charm. This book is the revelation of a king. And the picture that we're, what we're, that we're getting a hold of here is the Old Testament Levite would stand in the presence of the tabernacle of the temple and they would attend upon all the needs of the high priest. If a high priest says, I need a sharper knife, the Levite ran and got it. If the high priest said, I need another basin to get, catch some of the blood to anoint the altar, the Levite ran and got it. If the high priest said, we need to sweep out this area, we need to get some water and clean it down because it's been soiled, the Levite would do it. If you were a family that came in and needed some help in taking care of your animals, in other words, keeping some of your sheep quiet before it was your time of offering the sacrifice with the priest. The Levite would tend to that. That was their role, to stand in the presence of God and meet all these service needs. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, we become the Levitical priesthood, and we're not to attend just to all these physical needs like taking care of the physical involved and keeping a church going from that perspective. Because remember, we're the, we're the temple. Every one of you is individuals. So what we want to realize is that as we stand in the presence of God, that the beck and call, the voice that we listen to, is a voice that leads us to be able to meet one another's needs and to serve one another and to express kindness to one another. And that's the way that we stand in the presence of God and listen to what he wants us to do during a given day, a given week. It'll change your life if you begin to think of your life as a priesthood. And I need to stand in the presence of God, and he wants to sanctify all of my work, every one of my days. I've been called of God. As a result of being here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, whenever anybody asks you again, what's your calling? What do you do for a living? I want you to say, I am a minister of God. And they'll go, you are. I never knew you went to seminary. He said, no, I didn't go to seminary. But I've been ordained by the Lord God. You see, I received Christ into my heart, and I became one of his priests. Boy, you will get all kinds of great conversation. 
it'll be an incredible thing and it will change the way you think.